But I want to talk to you about, and I really want us to think tonight, to examine our own life through Scripture, what is it, what is it that, that, well, Paul says, what is it that describes you that you walk worthy of who you are? That, that what is seen of you in your life, what is known of you in your life by man and by God is, is worthy of your being a Christian. Do we have it? And what is it? So let's look at that tonight. Verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore... We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Silly. Ah, that's all right. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I'll, I'll ask the question this way. I ask you so you, we can ask ourselves. Are we living in such a way that is worthy of being called a Christian? Good question, isn't it? I think it's a very important and appropriate question in our, in our Christian lives. You know, there's so much out there that says, that tries to tell us what we ought to be as a believer, how we ought to live. Well, let's look at the Bible tonight. Father, as we've read your scripture, please open it to us. Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us to see things we might have never seen before. And I ask you, Lord, that myself and in each one of us here tonight, that we would open our heart to you, that you would examine us. I mean, thoroughly examine us, that, that, we, that we would consider whether or not we are actually walking as we should. I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that everybody here tonight, no matter of our age, no matter our backgrounds, doesn't make a difference. I pray, Lord, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, open the mind and the heart of each one of us tonight for what we need to hear in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I've used this illustration before. so A couple of you might remember it but most of you here tonight probably weren't here when I used this illustration. Anybody know who Alexander the Great is? Who was he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was a bad dude. And uh, there's a story that is told about Alexander the Great being one of the greatest military generals who have ever lived. He conquered almost... The, the, the entire known world with his massive, brilliant army. One night during a campaign, and, and, and I, I, I mind you, I think about this sometimes. When you read these stories in history, I often ask myself, did they really happen? You know, it's hard to know sometimes if this particular instant, incident happened. But the story goes and says about Alexander the Great. His army was ready to go into battle and 
they had stopped and they had formed their lines. And I think they were pretty much, most of the army was resting, but they had put out their sentries, their guards, um, uh, before they, so that the other soldiers could sleep. And one night during this campaign, as, as they had been resting and, and uh, the, the fighting had stopped and the guards are out, one night, Alexander couldn't sleep. And so he left his tent to walk around the campground that, that, where the, mili- the army was bivouacking. And was, as he was walking around the, the, the soldiers, most of them being asleep, but he was looking at the sentry points and he came across a soldier who was to be on sentry duty, but this guard had fallen asleep. Now this, everybody knows, even if you weren't in the military, you know that going to sleep on, uh, on guard duty is, is a major no-no. Uh, in, in war times in the past, I don't know how it is now, but in war times in the past, if you fell asleep on guard duty, that, that would mean the loss of your life. And in this situation, the penalty for falling asleep on guard duty was pretty well imminent death. Now, uh, when they would kill these soldiers that were on guard duty, that fallen asleep, one of the ways in which the commanding officer would uh, put them to death is they would pour kerosene on that sleeping soldier and burn him alive as he slept. Well, this soldier, as Alexander uh, began to get close to him, he woke up and recognizing his commanding general, the, the sleeping soldier went to his feet immediately in great fear of his own life. And the commander said to the, to the soldier, do you, do you know what the penalty is for falling asleep on guard duty? And the soldier said, yes, sir. And, and Alexander asked the soldier, what is your name? And the soldier said, my name is Alexander, sir. And the commander again said, what is your name? And the soldier again, probably somewhat confused, he replied the second time after the general demanded his name again. He said in a very loud voice, he said, Alexander, sir. And then the general again repeated the question a third time. Soldier, what is your name? And the soldier said, my name is Alexander, sir. And then the commander looked at him and said, as he looked him in the eye, he said, soldier, either change your name or change your conduct. Anybody hear me give that illustration before? Nobody. One. Thank you, Roy, for hanging with me. Do you understand the importance of it? Do do you know what he's saying? Here was a soldier in uniform, in the army. Probably in most circumstances, you would not know his conduct. But now when his conduct was, was most important that it be proper, he completely shirked his responsibilities and he fell asleep on guard duty and that commander he showed great great wisdom instead of killing the soldier or punishing the soldier immediately which he actually deserved by his own conduct he 
he gave him a lesson. He said, you either change your name, you stop pretending to be an Alexander, or you start changing your conduct. Now, this is kind of what we find in Ephesians chapter 4. I've heard this verse so many times in my Christian life. Therefore, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you. Paul's talking to believers in Christ. He's talking to you and me. He's not talking to the, the, the imminent, you know, great uh, higher echelons of Christianity. That's rubbish. He's talking to all believers in Jesus Christ. People who claim the name Christian and who follow Christ. And he says, I beg you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Here in our text, Paul is exhorting. He's really literally begging these believers to walk worthy of what it is of being saved. Let me set the foundation from which we will proceed. Here's what basically Paul is saying. Number one, we are Christians first and foremost. We're not pastor. We're not Sunday school teacher. We're not church uh, secretary. We're not, th- we are Christians. The way we walk, the way we live, the way we talk. It doesn't make a difference if you're a musician or if you work the sound desk or if you clean the church building. It doesn't make a difference. We are all Christians. That is first and foremost. We're not deacons. We're Christians. We're not pastors. We're Christians. We are Christians. Do you understand? The number one characteristic of you and I is that we're a Christian. Number two. Our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And that is the highest allegiance that we could have. It is greater than working for the prime minister. It is greater than working for the president of the United States. It is greater than having a job that, that, that provides you great wealth where you can buy many things. None of that will ever last. The only thing that will last is the fact that you are a Christian and that your allegiance and your conduct there there because of that is directed towards Jesus Christ. So the third foundation, once we understand these two, that we're Christians first and foremost and our allegiance is to Christ, the third foundation of this is without excuse, our life is to exemplify those two foundations. Do you know what Paul says when he's saying that we are to walk worthy of the calling with, by, by which we were called? That means that our life, and this is a big command, this is a big issue and a big task. It's a daunting almost. It means that everything in, in our life, that in how we live out our life, it is to reflect the fact that we are a Christian, that we are saved, and that Jesus excuse me, is our king. That is our actions, our attitudes, everything about us. Do you know you could take that one term right there, walk worthy, and we could just press that all, all evening long. What is to be seen out of us is the worthy walk of a Christian. Now, what does it mean to walk 
trustworthy. What, what, what are these words? Let me give you some important words that we see just from verse 1. First word is walk. What does that mean? It simply means to live. It, what, it means it's our behavior. Behavior at church, behavior at home, behavior at work, behavior on the pavement, behavior on the bus, behavior when you're not around anybody. That walk of life, that is the behavior that comes out of us. Second important word is the word worthy. It means, it simply means befitting. What is befitting of who you are or what is deserving of who you are. The life, the behavior that... Is that a holler? Oh, wow. So, so Paul says walk, that's our behavior, worthy, befitting. So what is it that he's saying? We are to have befitting behavior. Do you get it? Befitting behavior. Behavior that deserves the description of being a Christian. The third word that, that is important in this verse is the, call, the word calling. I think uh, the AV, the authorized, uses the word vocation. It is the word calling. Now that word calling... It's a, it is the condition or the state. Specifically, it is speaking about a person who has accepted salvation. So our calling, our entrance into Christ, our coming to Jesus as, as a repentant sinner. Paul is now saying that our behavior is to befit a repented sinner. Our behavior is to be befitting of a person who has been born again. Our behavior. Now, don't you agree with me that that is a huge task? That our behavior at all times is to be befitting of who we are in Christ? What is Paul exhorting? Here's what he's telling you and I. He's saying that we are to live according to who we are as God has called us into this life as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, that tells me, that, that speaks to me personally. Because guess what? I don't always act out in behavior the, 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 what is befitting of a Christian. Do you? I won't look at you when you answer. Because I know for me the truth is this. I don't. I I say little things. I don't think that they're so little. But you know what? That tells me this. I ought not to snap at my wife. I snapped at her today. I'll just be honest with you. I did. I don't know why I did. She said, why'd you do that? I said, I don't know. I think I said, forgive me. You know? And, and, but do you understand? We're all human beings. We're all people. And we struggle with this thing. I come from a background that says, you know what a good Christian is? A good Christian is one that goes knocking on doors and going soul winning. A good Christian is one who goes and runs bus ministry. A good Christian is one who comes to church and wears a tie and a suit coat or a dress or a skirt or whatever. 
a, a good Christian has all these outward things. And as I read the Bible, I think more of what Paul talks about is not so much what's on the outside, which is important. Let's not diminish that. But he talks more about what's on the inside. Does our inside befit who we are in Christ? Does what is seen? Because guess what? Even Jesus talked about this in the Gospels. It's not the stuff that we put in us. It's the stuff that comes out of us that, that is tricky, isn't it? You know, what comes out of us is what's seen. And I ask you this, because I ask myself this. What comes out of us? Is it befitting of you being a believer in Christ? Paul's telling us that we ought to live up to it. We ought to live up to being a believer. We ought to live up to what our salvation has given us. Do you know why? Yeah, I told you that I told you this story Sunday that I was in a church where the pastor got up in front of his church and said, You ought to tithe and you ought to live holy and you ought to do all these things. And he never once said, because that's what God commands us in his scriptures. You know what he said? He said, because I came here to be your pastor. Yeah. And I didn't realize it until I looked up. And I could have, you could have questioned me, said, Pastor, are you, are you, is that true story? Or, or are you just making that up? There was a person in our church on Sunday who was in that church with me. Did you realize that? There was, a matter of fact, two people here Sunday that was in that church on that Sunday who heard that very same thing. Do you know what? That's not why we ought to live a life that is befitting a believer. Can I tell you why? Look at your Bible. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 1. Can I ask you, what's the, what's the second word? Don't look at that word I, but look at the second word. What is the second word in that verse? Therefore. Do you know what that word therefore tells you why we ought to walk worthy? Look at it again. Therefore, walk worthy. See, I don't know if this is super true, but it works for me. When I was in English class, my, my teacher said a lot of times, the stuff that's in between them, them commas, you can pull out. You can pull that stuff out sometimes in, in, the, in whatever you're reading will still make sense. Because watch. He says, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, pull that out. Paul says, I therefore beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. Paul is asking and saying to us, I'm asking, I'm begging you to walk worthy of who you are. But that word therefore says, all that stuff that I just told you, that's why you're to walk worthy. What is it that Paul just told him? All, everything that is contained in chapters 1 through 3 in the book of Ephesians, the doctrinal truths that he, he told, that's why we as Christians are being exhorted by Paul to walk worthy. Now, I thought about reading chapters 1 through 3 to you, but it would take all the rest of the time that we have tonight. But have you ever read chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians? You can't read those without being being completely overwhelmed with what Jesus has done for us. Listen, let me just read some of the verses. Verse 3, 
Blessed be the God and Father of Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, every single believer, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him, we're chosen before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. I'm not sure where you stand, Calvinist, Armenian, or somewhere in between, but you can't get away from the fact that God had everything to do in our salvation. We are chosen, predestined, called, and saved by grace. Look at verse 11. In Him, that's Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. You and I might be poor in earthly things, but we are rich in heavenly things. Being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Look at verse 13. In Him you tr also trusted after you heard the word of truth. You know what that says? That's Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have an inheritance. We are sealed with the Spirit of God. We've been chosen, predestined, called. God looked down and condescended to us with his grace. Do you see the picture? Chapter 2 verse 1. You he has made alive. You who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared before that we should walk in them. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, and he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And then Paul says in chapter 3, sees in chapters 1 and 2, you, you got that spiritual truth and depth. Our salvation. And then in chapter 3, look what he says. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery from which the which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. You know what Paul says? He says, you and I, your life... Everything about our life is all, ought to be worthy of who you are. Who are you? Chapter 1, 2, and 3. You are, you are uh, 
chosen and called and saved and predestined. You are, you are given an inheritance filled with the Holy Spirit. You are called to have good works. All of these things and so much more. I left so much out for time. But that's why the word therefore is. Because of what you just have been told of who you are, now live out who you are. What a shame it is for people to call themselves Christian and to not live out who they are in Christ. Basically, it means because of all that God has done for us in providing salvation and making us into a, spiritually, a spiritual dwelling place of God, a dwelling place in which Jew and Gentile are united as one. There is no more Jew. There is no Gentile. We are all one in Jesus Christ. We therefore should live like the people we have become. Do you remember what Paul said in some of uh, uh, other of his works? He, he said that in Romans that who we are, that old man that we once were was nailed to the cross of Christ. And we've died in Christ. And we've been made alive in Christ. I mean, if you take the whole compilation of God's word, this is why we ought to live out a worthy life as a believer in Jesus. But he doesn't leave it there. He defines what it is to walk worthy. What does it mean again to walk worthy? Well, the word walk has more of a specific meaning. It means to behave in a certain manner. You and I can't live just any way we want to. We can't act just any way we want to. That word walk means to live in a specific manner. In a way that is befitting our calling in Christ. To behave in a specific manner that is befitting of who we are. Befitting of chapters 1 through 3. It's interesting to me, though, that there are not a bunch of rules here. Paul doesn't talk about dress. He doesn't talk about music. He doesn't talk about uh, uh, soul-winning methodologies. Uh-uh. You know what he talks about? He talks about who you, and I, who you and I are and how we live. What does it mean to walk worthy? Look at verse 2. He's spreads it out in these next couple verses. He says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love. Did you just hear what he read? What he wrote? How are we to walk worthy? Are we to be able to know all the, you know, memorize thousands of verses? Are we able, is Paul calling us to be able to talk to perfect strangers by just walking up to them on the street and being able to present the gospel to them? Or is, he, is he illustrating here that to, to walk worthy of the calling of who you are, that you ought to be a foreign mission in some deepest, darkest place in nowhere in this world? No, you know what he says? Number one, how do you walk worthy? Be humble. Be humble. Look, the word there, loneliness, with all lowliness, simply means humility. You want to define what humility is? Listen to this out of, out of the Bible. When you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. 
Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Put yourself last. Luke 22 says, you know, defining lowliness. You know, Paul says, how do you walk worthy? Show humility in your life. Luke 22 says in verse 26, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger. He who governs, let him be as he who serves. Pretty profound. Romans 12, 3. For I tell you through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Do you know what? When we think rightly about ourselves in a humble way do you know what? We will treat people a whole lot better. Yeah, won't we? Paul says you as a Christian you are to walk worthy of your faith of your calling. First thing he said in this sec- that next verse was, be humble. I like what James says. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Peter says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. You know what Peter's talking about? Peter's talking about how to help each other in church in the church of God, in the body of Christ. It's not saying you go be submissive to that person or he's over you, so you be submissive to that person. He says everybody in that church, you be submissive to one another. Why? Because when we are submitting to each other, we are humble with each other. We're gracious to each other. He goes on to say in 1 Peter 5, 5, be clothed with humility, For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Are we walking in humility as a Christian? Number two, I like this one. Number two, he says, with all meekness. We are to walk worthy of our calling. As a Christian, humble. Number two, meekness. You know what that simply means? Gentleness. I don't know about you. I'm sick and tired of the harsh Christianity that is propagated from pulpits all across the world. I don't know why I do this, but I guess I just do it. I watch videos and blogs and different things. And I see, I see people getting up in the pulpit in the name of God, yelling at their congregations, calling them names, shaming them into serving God. That's not at all what Paul's saying. Walk worthy, Christian. Walk worthy, pastor. Walk worthy, deacon. Walk worthy, secretary. Walk worthy, Sunday school teacher. How does he say to do it? Number one, be humble. Number two, be gentle. Meekness is gentleness. You know what gentleness is? I saw a picture today of an old grandpa dude. He must have been about 51. And he was holding his first grandbaby. And he's just cuddling him, that baby in his arms. Lisa and I watched this video of a 105-year-old man. Did anybody see this? This man was 105 years old, and they asked him if he wanted to hold, I guess, his great, 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 whatever grandbaby. And at first, he was afraid to do so because he's 105. Do you know what? It was the most gentle thing you'd ever seen. He held that baby And as he held that baby, he began to take his face and just rub it on the little baby's face. 
That's gentleness. Do you know what Paul's telling us as Christians to do? Turn around, let's see. Paul's telling us as believers, you want to walk worthy of your calling, of who you are? Be gentle. One of the greatest examples of gentleness in the Word of God was Moses. Let me give you a quote. This gentleness is opposite of self-assertion. It's opposite of rudeness. It is opposite of harshness. It suggests having one's emotions under control, but it does not suggest weakness. Seeing gentle, gentle is not weak. You know, I was one time asked to put someone in, in their place. Someone had spoken kind of rudely to me and someone else heard it. And they came up to me and said, hey, you need to put that person in their place so they don't do it again. And I turned and looked at the person talking to me. I said, no, I said, they've had a long day. They're tired. I'm not going to do that because you know what? If I do that, it might break them. And I don't want to break them. I want to see them keep on walking. There's a great need in our Christian life for gentleness. One who is controlled by God is angry at the right time, not angry at the wrong time. It's when we get out of that being controlled by the Lord, that's when that gets us in trouble. Moses was known as the meekest of all men, yet he got angry when Israel sinned against God. Christ was meek and mild. He was meek and humble in heart, yet he became angry because some Jews were using the temple as, as a place to steal and to rob and to, to destroy. Paul is calling us as a Christian not to be, not to be powerful and, and overruling, but to be humble and to be gentle. Thirdly, want to know what it is to walk worthy of your faith? Paul says right there in that verse, humility, gentleness, and then thirdly, patience. I don't know about you, but you ever struggle with patience with people? I love what, how the Bible calls it. It calls it long-suffering. You know, what, you know what, that, what, that, what that means? It means to bear a lot of pain in dealing with stuff. Paul's not calling us to be super Christians. He's not calling us to be famous people. You know what he's calling us? He's calling us to walk alongside of other people with humility and with gentleness and with patience. You know, the Bible says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Patience is the spirit which never gives up for it endures to the end even in times of adversity. It is the self-restraint which does not hastily retaliate a wrong. You want to live worthy of your faith? It's right there and it's pretty hard, isn't it? It's pretty, it's pretty straight as an arrow. Third, that's patience. Fourth thing that Paul says about, about walking worthy of you being a Christian. He says humility, gentleness, patience. And then the last two things he gives kind of goes in together. 
because of what we just spoke about. But the fourth thing is this. Bear with one another in love. The end of verse 2. Bear with one another in love. Do you know what? When you go to the, the 1 Corinthians 13, which is that, that section of chapter on love, love is this and that and everything else. In verse 7 it says, love bears all things. Do you know what that means? It, it means to endure again. See, forbearance is lo- in love is the willingness to put up with something or someone in a spirit of love. Do you know that is one of the biggest things that we need as Christians to understand and be called to? Man, we work with each other. Guess what? I can be prickly at times, and so can you. And you know what God tells us through the Spirit here? He tells us that you ought to bear along with each other, but do it in love. Fifth thing, to walk worthy of your faith. And here's what it all kind of comes to. The next verse in verse 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why are, to we walk, why are we to walk worthy of our faith? Why are we to be humble? Why are we to be gentle? Why are we to be patient? Why are we to bear with each other in love? Why? To keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what's going to keep the church of God together. That last thing, number five, it's endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit together. It implies that we do have spiritual unity, and unity exists in Christ, and unity is maintained by the Spirit. Unity is preserved as believers make peace with one another, with one another, their, their major priority being instead of acting selfish, selfishly for personal gain or honor or for personal ease or comfort, our call is not to create spiritual unity, but rather manifest spiritual unity by the unity of our relationships. Do you want to see what God's called us to do? He's called us to walk worthy of our faith. How do we do it? It looks like we do it as we walk with each other. We're to be humble amongst each other. We are to be gentle amongst each other. We are to be patient amongst each other. We are to bear with love amongst each other. Why? To strive to keep the unity together. That's what it is to walk worthy of your faith. Question is, are we doing that? Are we walking worthy of our faith? Paul says, I beg you to do it. Just think about it. Examine our own selves. Let's pray.